welcome to Ipsa Dixit, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Brian L. Fry, Spears Gilbert Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. My guest is Marcia Griggs, Associate Professor of Law and Director of Academic Support and Bar Passage at Washburn University School of Law. We will discuss her article, An Epic Fail, which will be published in the Howard Law Journal. So welcome to the show, Marcia. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, so this is about as timely an article to be discussing as I could possibly imagine, because you're delving into the very crisis in our administration that we're like wrestling with, dealing with, and that is burdening so many recent graduates of law school right at this very moment. And so obviously we're going to spend a lot of time talking about what's happening now, but I wonder if you could start first by saying a little bit about what happened in the past. Like, how did we get here? What really is the history of the bar exam? Where does it come from and why do we have it in the first place? Okay. Well, I can tell you, um, and probably um, for most of us in, in our lifetimes, all we know about licensing and entering the legal profession is the bar exam. Um, the first bar exam uh, historically dates back to the late 1800s. And even though there was a bar exam that early, many states, in fact, um, at least 32 U.S. jurisdictions used what we now call diploma privilege as a means to enter the practice of law. And over time, diploma privilege drew some objections. One large objection was that individuals who had gone to a law school in a different state and they you know, came to another state to practice law, they didn't get to enjoy the privilege. So there were some objections on that level. And I think at some point, um, the, the ABA got involved and suggested, strongly suggested in terms of policy, that something outside of the faculty and administration of a law school be the ones to decide whether or not someone is or is not competent to enter the practice of law. And at, at that point, uh, bar exam started to um, be offered in most states. And I would say within the last 100 years, it became offered in a majority of states. And then diploma privilege um, kind of dissolved and was only remaining in one state, Wisconsin. What's my understanding as well, that the bar exam used to be very kind of state-specific and authority over the bar exam was highly dispersed, but it's become increasingly centralized as well. How did that happen in sort of what are we kind of looking at in terms of the centralization of the bar exam today? Yeah, that, that's a very important point. So the bar exam today looks nothing like the bar exam that I took when I got to law school. And that's probably true for, for most lawyers that weren't licensed within the last 10 years. Today, we have an exam called the Uniform Bar Exam, and it predominates U.S. jurisdictions. Right now, there are 36 jurisdictions that use the or that have adopted the Uniform Bar Exam. A few states have adopted it, but they will be giving their first administration of it in February 2021. So the Uniform Exam is written by the National Conference of Bar Examiners, which is a, a non profit or an entity based in, in Wisconsin of all states. And they have uh, prepared three multi-state exams, a multiple choice exam, an essay exam, and a performance test exam. For most lawyers, they're completely unfamiliar with performance testing. 
Um, so this new uniform exam is given in the states that have adopted it, and there is no provision that tests the, the state law, the state rules of procedure. It is a, a multi-state uniform exam based on what they call general principles of law. And so one important consideration for all of us as we think about or look into um, either maintaining the current system of bar examination or arguing against it or any place in between is to recognize what today's bar exam looks like and how dramatically different that is from any bar exam that we may have taken that actually did test our knowledge of state law. This exam has no component that tests any part of state law. It is basically a very sophisticated and, and high quality and very well written um, law school-like exam. So the bar exam has basically evolved into a, a test to see that you've completed law school, not a test to see if you are ready to practice law in a particular state. Just briefly, I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about the justifications for introducing the bar exam initially and justifications offered for the various changes in the way that the administration of the bar exam has evolved over the years. In other words, when people talk about, to the extent they talk about, sort of why we have a bar exam in the first place, what was the reason for doing uh, admissions to legal practice or licensing for legal practice in this particular way? Well, from everything that I've seen, um, it I will say it boils down to distrust, but the advanced reason or the reason advanced for it was simply that we need some objective and, and neutral examination to measure an attorney's knowledge and incompetence. That was, and I, in that statement is, I guess, the implication that law schools and law school faculty and administrators would be too biased to be able to objectively, you know, identify whether or not their graduates were, were suitable to, 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 to enter practice. That's, I, I think that is the fuel behind the concept of having a bar exam. But I also say that the fact that we have transitioned in most states from a standard state-specific exam to this uniform exam shows me that through policy efforts, the exam can be changed. And the change came because so many practicing lawyers who wanted to move from one jurisdiction to the next were not happy with the thought of having to repeat a bar exam or take an exam for a different state. They said, if I'm competent to practice law, for example, in New Jersey, I should therefore be competent to practice law in New York. Um, and so that argument won the day. And that's how we got to the uniform system of examination that we have today for people who want to engage in multi-jurisdictional practice. Well, so for better or for worse, the bar exam has been administered in most places and increasingly almost all places, all, almost all states for quite some time now. But the, I think the elephant in the room, of course, is that this year everything went to hell, right? So maybe maybe you could just give listeners a brief reminder of what happened this year that's created such a crisis in the administration of the bar exam. Oh, of course. Well, of course, our country, our entire world has been affected by the emergence of the COVID pandemic. Um, the, the, the threat of COVID affected law schools that are normally traditional in-person um, delivery um, institutions 
and we all went online and we did it quickly. We did it within two weeks. Courts started having hearings online. The Supreme Court <laughs> had a telephone hearing. We made great shifts and we made them very, very swiftly. At the same time, the state bar examiners and the courts that supervised them didn't move with that swiftness. And that was shocking. We're in an environment where we have a, a, a global pandemic and we are advised against having large group assemblies. And that's precisely what a bar exam is. In our smallest states, we will gather you know, up to 100, 150 students. In our larger states, 6,000 to 10,000 um, applicants assemble in one room to take an exam. And even recognizing the, the threat of the pandemic and the measures that we have in place to prevent its spread, um, the those who administer bar exams, many of those, I won't say all, many of those just failed to make any type of reasonable adjustment to account for the fact that we're not doing things in, in large groups in person anymore. Um, so, so that's where we are. And I, I will say too, you know, the, the, the pandemic is the biggest driver for the need for change to the bar exam, but we can't forget the, the, the horrible, horrible uprisings against racial injustice. In that backdrop, you know, we have two converging crises that just really make the most ripest grounds for change to bar licensing policy. So maybe you could talk a little bit about how law schools and how bar examiners reacted to the COVID pandemic crisis, whether those reactions were similar or different, and sort of how those different reactions have reflected on the institutions in question. Yeah. I, quite frankly, and I think this is part of what um, drew me so much to write about this piece in, in kind of in real time. I, I was just shocked, and, and I, I still am shocked to see the dramatic differences in responses from law schools and law examiners. I, I, I would say that a year ago, if you had suggested to me that law schools would give online exams and, and have all their classes online, I would have chuckled heartily and, you know, betted against that. But with the knowledge of the pandemic and, and its threat, I completely understand law schools making those adjustments. And um, I understand the challenges as a law professor. You know, we, we had multiple faculty meetings over whether or not we would give pass-fail examinations or offer credit-no-credit credit grading and how we could securely administer exams. Well, the law examiners have many of those same concerns, yet they, and, and again, I'm speaking to, to many of them, not all of them, but they dug in and said, well, a bar exam with paper and pencil is the best way to test. And that's what we're going to do. If we're going to have a bar exam, you must come to my house or, you know, come in person and take this exam. Um, not enough of them made the adjustments necessary. Not enough of them had any contingency plans in place for a scenario in which we couldn't have face-to-face -face exams. And, and those that did make those adjustments, you know, quite frankly, they didn't make them timely enough and they just created um, further problems by their, you know, kind of 11th hour switches from face-to-face -face exams to online exams. Well, so what kind of options do you think were available to bar examiners, state bars, and the, the state Supreme Courts regulating 
uh, attorney admissions? Like what could they do? What did they do? <laughs> what seems to have worked well and what maybe has, uh, to put it gently, not worked quite so well? Well, so far, I would say almost nothing has worked well. Um, and how the in-person exams, uh, how the candidates taking in-person exams will fare remains to be seen because after I think most of the exams will conclude tomorrow, um, you know, those individuals will need to quarantine and, you know, test and, and see, um, you know, how they're doing. But the, the, the options available and these options were made available in March. So by, by mid-March, um, you know, states knew th that there were options available. Of course, they could have canceled or postponed the exams, which have proven to be greatly problematic. Um, but they had options for online exams. And I think an early exercise of the online exam, or for those who make their business of preparing exams, and given where we are today, and with all the technology available, I think there should have been, you know, at least some prototype of an online exam in the works. I think to not even have considered that, to, to go as late as March and April of 2020, and not even have those things in in the works based on how we transact business today, that, that quite frankly, that's shocking to me. And I think the failure to have made such proactive planning has led in part to where we are now. Um, other options include diploma privilege or what some identify as diploma privilege plus, meaning graduating from law school could be enough to allow you to practice law or graduating from law school and working for a certain amount of time under the supervision of another attorney or, you know, working under certain limited conditions, something to evaluate, you know, your, your competence. That is certainly an option and it remains an option. And a few states have, you know, decided to take that option. And, and one big option, or I, I call it a big option, but I, I feel like in this polarized discussion of giving a bar exam or giving diploma privilege to all, there are alternatives somewhere in the middle of those two extreme options that I don't think have gotten sufficient attention, like supervised practice or a, a clinical pathway to the entry of law. Um, I, I think there are ways that we could actually observe law graduates in the practice and performance of their duties, and we could use those observations as a measure to determine whether they are or are not competent. So, so there are many, many options available. And again, to my great professional shock, only a few states have really taken advantage of these options to the benefit of their bar applicants. Why do you think that is, Marcia? Well, you know, quite frankly, and I, I talked about this in the article, the bar exam is all we know. I, I think there are, are, are two problems that make considering any alternative to a bar exam a fight. And under this circumstance, I don't think it should be a fight. Um, the first thing is we don't know anything else. We have been conditioned to view the bar exam as a legitimizing tool of the legal profession. We have this emotional connection to the bar exam and it, it, it's permeated into our cognition. We've been professionally conditioned to accept that, you know, taking and passing a bar exam it's just what you do to become a lawyer. So when we're confronted with pathways into the profession that don't involve a bar exam, the you know we have this cognitive dissonance. We say that exam was horrible. I never want to do it again. I don't want to think about it. But there is no way 
that I will consider you my colleague or embrace you into the profession if you haven't gone through that hazing ritual. So, so that's part of it. It's our mindset. The, the, the second part is a, a disconnect. The reality is no one really knows anything about the bar exam except for those who write the exam and those who are in you know, academic support and bar readiness positions that you know, make it their business to help prepare students for the exam. So for attorneys who took the bar exam, whether it's, you know, 20 years ago or 40 years ago, right, they're not thinking about the exam. They probably are not aware of the multiple changes and evolutions that the bar exam has taken on in, in, in recent years. So they may be, if at all, chiming into the conversation based on their understanding of a bar exam that's completely different from the one that we have now. Um, as we look at options, you know, some of them think, oh, well, we'll just let them, you know, be licensed temporarily until they can take a bar exam. And they don't really understand the dynamics of the market and how um, impractical, you know, that solution really is. So I, 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 I think, you know, my experience is that the convergence of those two points makes seeking licensure alternatives an uphill battle. But I think it's a battle that we all need to take on. Well, so the idea of diploma privilege, uh, sort of either a Wisconsin, New Hampshire model, or maybe even something more expansive, uh, seems to be gaining a lot of traction. To what extent have you seen any reaction from state bar examiners, the NCBE, or the various bar exam preparation companies? So I think, and, and wisely so, I, I think those in the business of commercial bar prep, you know, I, I think that they are decidedly silent on, on this matter because it, it, it affects their business, you know, um, their, 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 their livelihood. Um, I know that the NCBE has published its own, you know, policy paper saying that basically, you know, there are alternatives, but none of them are as sound as the, the in-person exam. And, and, and I would, you know, I would certainly expect that. I, I think to me, you know, the most important consideration, though, is that these alternatives were presented in the context of a pandemic. These were presented as temporary alternatives. And I think the great resistance to them, I think that's actually done more harm than good for those who support the, the bar exam. I, I think that the um, just dogged unwillingness to even make temporary changes in, in, in many states um, is leading more people to say, well, you know, why have this exam anyway? Or let's, you know, point out all the faults to the exam. And I, I, I think um, history will show that the response to the needs of the pandemic um, have been collectively a misstep on the, on the bar examiner's part. Well, so my understanding is that at least part of the justification for the bar exam or like the ostensible justification for the bar exam is that it, it tests for minimal competence and helps protect the public from potentially subpar attorneys. To the best of your knowledge, how well has that sort of goal assertion claim been substantiated by the people creating and administering the bar exam? And are, are there any reasons to be skeptical of whether or not that's actually providing the kind of social benefits it's supposed to? 
Oh, yes. My answer to that is yes, absolutely. There's a great reason to be skeptical. Um, I think the and, and to the great credit of the, the NCBE in their own you know, published report, they say we, we are undertaking a study of the bar exam. You know, we are surveying lawyers and students and practitioners and, 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 and faculty and judges. And we want to um, identify the skills that are essential in the practice of law. And then we're going to take those skills and compare them to our exam and, and see. And I think they've acknowledged that they're not the same, that the test that they use, while no one's questioning the quality of that test, it's not capturing what what a bar exam is supposed to measure. And so, you know, who knows? I, I know they're progressing with the study. I, I believe that's their, their long-term goal to make those adjustments to the bar exam so that it is actually a measure of competence. Now, whether or not that can be done, that's a question that I don't have answers to, but but certainly I don't think that anyone has any reason to equate the bar exam in its current format to a test that actually measures or predicts someone's competency in the practice of law. Based on your discussion about when and why the bar exam was adopted in the first place, I mean, it seems to me that at least in part, it may have been a reaction to the perception or reality of potentially uh, bad incentives for law schools, right? Um, Like a moral hazard for law schools. Almost in the sense of like you know not policing for quality as well as they might otherwise do. To what extent do you think that that same kind of problem is affecting bar examiners? In other words, is the bar exam itself potentially vulnerable to those same kinds of bad incentives? Um, you know, so I, I, I say yes. My my answer to your question is yes, and I I, I think. I think this can't be understated, that there is so much distrust. You know, the examiners are just completely invested in the security of their exam. You know, those that the national examiners who produce it and then the local examiners who, who administer it. And I and I certainly understand that. But I think that the level of distrust has reached a point where we're, we're not having fruitful and productive exchanges. I think and, and, and these are my my you know my my opinions my thoughts, but I think that there is such a great degree of just um, distrust that examiners are so inclined to be suspicious towards anything that we might recommend or suggest. I, I think at least early on, they probably weren't as open to ideas as they could have been. I think their their knee jerk reaction was no, we can't do this, we can't make changes to the bar exam or nothing. And I I, I think that the changes in many states to the online exam shows that they have to acknowledge, wow, these guys were pointing out problems for us, you know, but I, I, I still see it there. Even today, while if, if you look at anything on social media right now, you look at the number of people saying, I can't believe they're giving face-to-face exams today. This is, you know, and, and people are expressing their opinions. I, I saw one tweet today from the National Bar Examiners, and it said, if you see anyone, you know, sharing any of our test content, you know, here's a hotline to call us, or here's a, you know, place to go to report that. I have complete respect and understanding of you know their rights to the integrity of their product, and 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 there's no question about that. But I just don't think the audiences are are, are reading each other well in in this case, and I think that's a problem. And I think and I, the bar examiners have got to go first. I think if they, as a collective institution, would just drop their guard just a bit, and 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 be genuinely receptive to the needs and the the different viewpoints, I think it would be much easier to advance a progressive bar reform policy. 
Well, in relation to that, how much transparency is there in the bar bar exam administration industry, as it were? In other words, I mean, to what extent do bar examiners explain how they ask questions and how they evaluate questions and how much and how granular data do they provide for people outside the organizations themselves to evaluate the effectiveness and legitimacy of the tests they're administering? Well, I, I think that like, like right now, I think um, there's a, a group doing a study, you know, on the, the bar exam and on competency measures. So I, I would say, and I, I'm data has been made available to them to, to conduct their studies and get their information. But just speaking as a member of the, you know, the lay public or as a member speaking in my individual capacity, as a member of the, you know, academic support profession and community, um, I, I would say, I, you know, we, we hit a wall in, in, in seeking transparency. And I, I get the impression that the examiners want that relationship to change. But I have to truthfully say right now, we haven't seen those changes that we need because we don't have that information. Um, the examiners make past exam questions available for purchase on their website, which is a, a great thing for students to see. But should there be any changes, we don't have any type of information that tells us whether this information made available is indicative of what a student can expect in the next exam duration or not. With the, the new online exam, we just believe that the components will look like what we've seen before, um, but you know, just be in a more condensed format. But we haven't been invited to have conversations about whether or not that's actually true. And I think that's really important. Um, in terms of scoring, that is held closely to the best of the, of the examiners. Uh, they don't disclose their, their scaling and scoring methodologies um, for reasons that I don't know, but I think that would help so much. If they want to increase the credibility of the exam, they're going to have to increase the transparency of the exam scoring methods and the methods for arriving at the content of the exam. Changing direction just a little bit. It's my understanding that at least some, maybe all states initially adopted the bar exam with frankly, racial discrimination being one of maybe the many motivations for doing so. Um, I wonder to what extent we still see racial bias or discrimination in the administration and scoring of the bar exam and whether you think that's something we should be concerned about when we collectively discuss and decide what to do about attorney admissions and what kinds of methods we ought to be using. So absolutely, that is something to be um, concerned about. I'm aware of, of those claims and I have no reason and there's nothing that I've studied or found that would cause me to, to disagree with those statements. Um, I, and it is a fact that applicants of color, um, applicants from a different socioeconomic backgrounds, um, underperform um, their, their counterparts on the on the on the bar exam, and um, I, I think that's the case nationally. What I've also found, though, however, is many states don't track that data. California tracks it. And publishes Texas at one time had a study that revealed that. So this is something that, based on my work in academic support, I know this to be the case, 
But until all states have the same obligations to, to monitor and collect that data, it is going to be hard to, I think, um, produce a very, you know, just nail on the head kind of evidence that it's happening in every single state. But certainly, and if we just look at California's data alone or New York's data, we have to recognize that there is a disparate impact for people of color taking the bar exam. And as we move this exam online, if we don't recognize that different people have differing levels of access and additional difficulties in taking an online exam, then we have a huge problem. And, and like I said, these pandemic times, this is the time that's ripe to make a change that will help those seeking to enter our profession. This is not the time to close the doors to entry and make it more difficult for them to succeed. And I hope that the, the evidence of these different impacts based on, 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 on race and social backgrounds will be factored in to any changes made to the bar exam or how we license attorneys. Well, so Marsha, in closing, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what you see going forward. In other words, what do you expect to happen? Or or maybe like, what do you hope will happen in the future? I mean, if if you were in charge, what would you like to see us collectively doing as a profession about attorney admissions? Well, that's a great question. Um, what I hope to see is just a real conversation where, I, like, first of all, I'm thrilled to see that so many people in the practice of law are getting involved in this and, and just recognizing that we have a need, a pandemic-induced need for change. What I hope to see happen, though, is that this conversation continues after the July, September, and October iterations of the bar exam, and even after February. I, I hope that all stakeholders actually say, hey, you know what, I've turned my back on the bar exam. I never wanted to look back on it, but now that they look at it, I hope that they give information to NCBE, and I hope that NCBE receives it you know, willingly and that we can make some changes. And one of the changes I hope to see is that everyone should agree, or at least a majority of us agree, that there can and should be alternative ways to enter the practice of law. If a person who has engaged in supervised practice can't demonstrate that they're competent to practice law by doing it, but can only demonstrate that by a test, then we've done something wrong. So I hope that the solutions or alternatives that we've identified during this pandemic are things that we can talk about going forward and that we can be much more flexible in welcoming people to the profession based on their abilities to serve the public, not based on their test scores alone. Well, Marsha, thanks so much for coming on the program to talk about your truly excellent, provocative, and unbelievably timely paper. Uh, I really hope listeners will check it out because it's got a lot of great uh quotes, data, information, and ideas in it. And uh, uh, thank you for driving this conversation forward. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Compare, but will 
it stand the test of time The lovely glow that's in your eyes The music in your sighs Oh, will they stand the test of time Time changes mountains, time changes rivers Time changes winter to spring Time changes everything they say But if the thrill we feel tonight Is really, really right You'll never take your hand from mine And our love will stand the test of time But if the thrill we feel tonight is really, really right, you never take your hand from mine. 